0: Hello, my boobalas. I hope you all had a lovely Thanksgiving. Mine was great. I got to spend a lot of time with my large drunk family. I think we had 37 people get together. My Aunt June made a 17-pound brisket, which I'd never even heard of a brisket that large. She got the entire thing at Costco, cooked it for 10 hours, then another three hours, and another three hours, uh, we had a few turkeys, a deep-fried turkey. Uh, I said it last week. I I really enjoy turkey; one of my favorite meats. The the whole theater of the roasting and the slicing, and I'm I'm I said it last week. I'm even more adamant now. I'm going to start making a whole turkey much more all year round. I had a lot of fun bothering my relatives over the holidays. I promised I would. My Aunt Bonnie might not be thrilled with me after I told the rest of the family that Bonnie is not her real name, but that it is, in fact, a nickname for Bonstance, the same way that Connie might be a nickname for Constance. So for the entire weekend, I got my whole family to call her Bonstance, and I don't think that went over so well. Uh, lots of folks were traveling on planes this week, uh, as Instagram tells me. I am not a Thanksgiving Travel person generally, you know i I grew up in New York City, and I've always done Thanksgiving at home uh in in New York or on long Island and they say that the day before Thanksgiving is the busiest travel day of the year, but I never I don't think I've ever gotten to experience it um but this past week, I was thinking of a story about a flight I took it was like sixteen years ago it was November of two thousand five just before Thanksgiving. And I had to attend a funeral in Cleveland and I needed something to watch on the plane. That was before smartphones. Back then, Netflix was still a DVD rental business. And you would like sign up for three DVDs at a time and they'd mail them to you. And I was really into the movie reviews from a website called AV Club. Uh, I still think it's a great website. It's owned by the people who do The Onion. That's been funny for a long time. Anyways, the AV Club had written a movie review of a movie called Mysterious Skin. And they'd given this movie, Mysterious Skin, an A-grade. So I was like, oh, I mean, they rarely do that. I should check it out. I got the DVD from Netflix, and I brought it with me on this trip to Cleveland. I had a laptop with the DVD player in it. Remember those? And on the flight back, I decided, fire it up, watch the movie. Now, it was November. The flight was around 5 p.m. on a Sunday, so it's dark out, it's dark on the plane, and I'm sitting in the middle seat of a very full flight. Now, this movie, Mysterious Skin, is which, by the way, I I would recommend. Like, I, I thought it was a good movie, but you know, hear this part first. It's about two young men who are molested by their little league coach as kids. And the way that they process this when they're older is really intense. One of them becomes convinced that he was abducted by aliens. And the other one becomes a male prostitute and starts turning tricks. And that that second one moves to New York City. And he gets picked up by this big bear of a guy. And there is this really violent graphic, horrible gay rape scene in a shower. And it's so horrible to watch. I mean, it's it's just terrible. And I'm on this flight in the middle seat of the plane. There's people on either side of me. My laptop screen is bright. The plane is dark. Like, you can't miss what is going on on my screen. And I'm watching a violent gay rape scene on an airplane. So what what are you supposed to do in that situation, do you pause the movie and put your put your computer away? Do you apologize? Are you supposed to fast forward through the scene? Like, I just don't know the appropriate etiquette. So i I was sort of frozen. I just stared straight at the screen. I acted like it was normal to watch that on a plane, like nothing was happening. But I could see out of the corner of my eye that people sitting on either side of me were not pleased with this. Speaking of molesting, we got molested by a new COVID variant this week. Variant sounds so sinister, like the variant, the new variant is here. And at first, the reports said that it came from South Africa, but seems now that that was like really stupid, that it's everywhere. South Africa is just the only country that was sophisticated enough to detect it. And that makes sense. I mean, South Africa dealt with a viral tragedy of epic proportions with HIV. So one would expect that they would have pretty advanced viral detection capabilities. So I guess kudos to the South Africans on this. I'm not sure that closing our borders to them is going to do anything useful. I think these variants are going to be like terrorist attacks after 9-11. Like at first, people would panic. The markets would panic. Everyone's like, oh my God, another one. But after a while, it just became this shoulder shrugging thing. Maybe tragically, but no one seemed to care anymore. And countries around the world are rushing to close off the borders. And and I, I don't think that's very useful. You know, like maybe it would have made sense in January of 2020 when the Wuhan flu was first making the rounds. But at this point... I'm not sure it makes a difference and closing your borders to South Africa it just penalizes them for detecting this right you're incentivizing countries to not report this stuff and maybe that's good actually maybe that's the best policy don't report it don't think about it don't panic about it and so the less information the better because you won't make bad decisions maybe maybe that's the right way to think about it i, I don't know you know the initial reports are that this is it's pretty mild that it's not worth it's not worth getting too uh too upset about. And I don't know if the existing vaccines are useful for protecting against it or not. The Moderna guy said no. The the um, Pfizer, what how do you pronounce this? Bio BioNTech? BioNTech? I don't know how you pronounce that. But that guy said that that the vaccine is good enough. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm a big believer in mRNA. I think it's incredible. I've said it before, I think it's going to remake modern medicine and be the greatest innovation of, of this half of the century. But I also think that these vaccines were kind of oversold. Now, remember, I, I got one. I got it early on. I, I did it live on air during the, during the show. I was very enthusiastic about it, um, partly because I just like to experiment on myself and, and partly because I don't want to get COVID. I'm not terribly worried about it, but I didn't want to get it. But the way these vaccines were built doesn't seem like it was very fair, right? At first, they told us that the vaccine would make it so you wouldn't catch COVID. And then it was, you might catch COVID, but you won't be able to transmit COVID. Then it was, you can transmit it, but you won't have any symptoms. And then it was, you might have symptoms, but you won't end up in the hospital. And then it was, you might end up in the hospital, but you won't die. And so far, it seems that last part has held a lot fewer people are dying of COVID now than were previously. That's great. People who got these good mRNA shots, I'm not talking about the Johnson & Johnson one, because that's like basically sugar water, but people who got the good one are not dying of COVID. So that's a good thing. But the fact that they were billed as something different than they are has led to a lot of distrust. And we already have a lot of distrust in public institutions. If these vaccines had been built up front as they will almost certainly prevent you from dying, and maybe they'll have some ancillary benefits. Maybe you won't get COVID, maybe some of the other stuff, but really it's about dying. That would be pretty amazing, right? That's the most important thing it can do. It's valuable on its own, hugely valuable on its own. But instead, these were promised to be something that they aren't. And then when they turn out to be something else, people are skeptical. Now, it's been clear all along that COVID is a disease of the elderly, not of the young. Young people, and I would categorize myself that way, are not dying of COVID. It just doesn't matter. And getting a vaccine against something that doesn't matter is pointless. Like Why, why bother? Especially if it's not going to change the fact that you can transmit this. Why put up with the side effects? I personally know people who had fevers above 104. I know many people who were sick after getting these. I know someone who developed Bell's palsy the day after getting the shot. But let's say we reduce the vaccines to you won't die. That's really valuable, especially for the people who are vulnerable to dying from this, the people who are 60 or 70 and older. Let's make sure all those people get the shots. And it seems that the vast majority of them have gotten them. Almost everyone old has gotten one of these shots, in in America at least, and they're getting the boosters now. And that's great. Get as many boosters as you want. Get two a day if you want. I don't care. But I think that the time in which you can mandate the behavior of others, that time has passed. Do what you want with yourself. And if it makes sense for you to get dozens of boosters, get dozens of boosters, that's fine but stop trying to force it on other people. It doesn't matter. Enough with the mandates. Enough forcing young people to get these shots. Uh, Children. Do you know that since March of 2020, about 400 kids under the age of 18 have died of COVID? 400. If we were really worried about saving kids' lives, there are many other things we could do to save 400 children's lives. Like it's just not that many over the course of eighteen months. It's sad, sure, but like compared to the 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 hundreds of thousands of old people who have died, it's a very different thing. If you look at kids under twelve, there's like a hundred of them who have died, and almost all of those kids had cancer or other diseases. This wasn't like healthy kids who got COVID and dropped dead. That's just not a thing that happened. We know from millions of data points. That COVID is irrelevant to kids under age 18. So, what's the point of making those kids get the shot? I just don't get it. And I know I sound a bit like a broken record. I know I I talked about this a few weeks ago, but I see some of my friends getting the, the shot for their kids and they do it with enthusiasm. They're Instagramming it and talking about how relieved they are. And I can't help but wonder are my friends a little dumb? If you got the shot for your kids, can you explain to me why you did it? And if it's because the school made us do it, okay. It's pretty stupid the schools are doing that, but okay. But if you're if you're enthusiastically putting this on Instagram, why? Tell me why you were so excited about it for your child. And I've, I've heard people say they did it to protect their grandparents or something, but how does it protect the grandparents? Don't the grandparents need to get the shot to protect themselves? I just can't find a single resource. No one on the entire internet can make a compelling argument for why a child needs this shot. I'm open to it. Really, I'm open to being convinced, but i I, I have not seen anything. and i I think humility in governance is essential. because like if you insist on policies that don't make sense, then you won't be taken seriously. When you say something meaningful, right? It, it, it turns into a boy who cried wolf scenario. And I've always said, I'm willing to go along with anything. I will take extreme measures that greatly inconvenience myself. As long as you can justify them to me. You want me to lock myself in the basement for a month? Okay, I'll do it. Explain why with an explanation that makes sense. Want me to give my kids the COVID vaccine? I'll do it if you can explain why it is useful or necessary. So this is an open invitation. If you can explain it, please do. Point me to someone else who has done it well. Or come on the show. Do it yourself. And by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll open it up the flip side too. If you are extremely vaccine skeptical, come on the show and explain why. Even if it's for, you're skeptical that old people should get the shot, explain why. I want to hear all sides of this. Now, maybe I wouldn't be so skeptical if the the various bureaucrats hadn't overstated the benefits of these vaccines. But frankly, I think COVID would have gone a lot better if we did not have the CDC. I think they were a net value destroyer over the past 18 months. They kept saying things that were so unreliable and so idiotic, just a steady stream of nonsense. And I'm willing to allow that in the, the heat of the moment, With something new, you may not have all the answers. That's okay. But be humble about it. Acknowledge your level of certainty. And it went from the the masks are useless. Don't use masks. And then they were blocking any lab from doing COVID testing. And they designed their own awful proprietary test. And they shut kids out of schools for a year. These bureaucrats have no credibility. And so now when they say, that kids should get a shot. Why would I trust them? Side note, before we, we stop with COVID for, for this week, but when did we go from my body, my choice, which was like the mantra of the, the pro-choice wing, how did we go from my body, my choice to get the vaccine or you are anti-science and mandating that people do something? Like How, how hypocritical Is it to be, quote, pro-choice when it comes to abortion, but anti-choice when it comes to the COVID vaccine? Why does anyone care if someone else gets the shot as long as they can get it themselves? Why are we making people who already had COVID get get the vaccine? It, It just, this seems so idiotic and like there is no ideological consistency, no logical consistency in it. I watched a decent amount of sports over the holiday weekend and I noticed this is amazing to me that every ad in the arenas on TV, it's all for sports gambling products. It used to be beer and cars. That was what they advertised. Now it is just sports gambling and these apps have taken over professional sports. So I got to ask if we, keep integrating betting into sports. Is that good? Won't that make the influence of betting that much greater? Won't the league start making bettable events a much bigger part of the season? Like, would the NFL be better if there was a Super Bowl mid-season? Would the NBA be better if they made a tournament in the middle of the season? Tyler Cowen pointed out that Tennis is well-suited to betting because there are so many discrete wins and losses across games, sets, matches, tournaments, and they're all bettable events. But I guess that could theoretically make them open to manipulation. It's, if there's so many bettable events and players, isn't it easier to manipulate a player or a game or a set somewhere in there? It's not a team sport, you don't have to get a whole team on board. you know one one positive I guess of all the sports betting is that it makes people more interested and involved in pro sports you You become interested in a team or a sport that you wouldn't otherwise have any interest in because you have a financial interest in it like I'm a Yankees fan, but I guess if I bet on a soccer match or a Colorado Rockies game. I become interested in that game and I become a fan of it for three hours. So maybe I, I get more interest. I don't know. Is that good? And can we consider any of this outside of the decline in TV revenue for sports, right? So it, it TV revenue has declined. And so the leagues have to look elsewhere to make up that shortfall. So, what do they do? They partner with a fantasy league or an esports league, which, what is esports? of video games? At video games or, or sports betting. And that seems like a logical idea because it's clear that betting on sports already generates a lot more revenue than the leagues themselves do. So, if I ran the NBA, I'd be really upset that a derivative product is generating so much more revenue based on my product. I'd want a cut of that. How about in Major League Baseball, the way they've been manipulating the baseballs? Can we really analyze that outside of thinking about sports betting? For for context here, Major League Baseball bought Rawlings, the company that makes baseballs, in 2018. And the next year, in the 2019 season, Major League Baseball altered the balls so that they would travel further so that there would be more home runs. Four teams in 2019, there were four teams that broke the record for the most home runs in a season. That makes the pitchers look bad. It looks like they gave up a lot more home runs. Now for 2020, Major League Baseball switched the balls again, this time in the opposite direction, so they wouldn't travel as far. So there would be fewer home runs. This makes the hitters look worse. It makes the pitchers look better. And in 2021, they mixed them up. For the games that were on national TV that had a large audience, they used the balls that would travel further to make it seem more exciting. They didn't tell the players they were doing this. This is disgraceful. It's manipulative. Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, should lose his job over this. Pete Alonso, player for the Mets, great player, he spoke out last summer and he said that he believed that Major League Baseball was doing this because of the free agent class. Remember that Major League Baseball is controlled by the owners of each of the teams. So when there are a lot of great free agent pitchers coming up, the owners have an incentive to make those pitchers look worse. That way, those pitchers will get smaller contracts, right? If if you know that all the great pitchers are, are going to have to sign contracts, you want to you want to uh, 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 sink them in the year before that so you can say, well, you're not so good. You don't deserve a lot of money. And then vice versa. When you know all the great hitters are coming up, you want to make sure they hit fewer home runs so that you can give them smaller contracts. And when Pete Alonzo said this, he was dismissed as a nut and a conspiracy theorist. I think it was in June of 2021. And now it seems like he was right on the money. So as sports leagues have more of an interest in sports betting, won't they have an interest in also manipulating the games? And does that seem like a good idea to you? Like, I don't have a problem with legalizing sports betting, but I think it has gotten to be so prevalent now that we are going to regret this at some point. And and I gotta say that's a low confidence prediction for me, but my instinct says we are not going to be happy about this. Ghislaine Maxwell's trial started this week. Uh, We haven't talked about her and Epstein. For a while on the show, I think it's worth doing a quick primer on Epstein so that people understand what this guy did and how good old Lady G fit into it. So, Jeffrey Epstein was a high school math teacher at a private school in New York City called Dalton in the 1970s. And imagine. Your high school math teacher, like picture that person or or one of your high school math teachers. Picture that person in your head right now. And think to yourself, is that person some great sophisticated money management person? Odds are that's not what you are imagining. So that was Jeffrey Epstein. He was a high school math teacher, and somewhere along the way he met a guy named Les Wexner. Now, Wexner founded Limited Brands and Victoria's Secret. He's a very rich man. He lives in Ohio in this massive house in Ohio. And rumors about him have swirled for a very long time that he has a predilection for young boys. I don't know. I've never slept with him, but that seems to be pretty common knowledge for people who knew him. So Somewhere along the way, in the late 70s and early 80s, Epstein went from being a high school math teacher to being the guy in charge of this billionaire's money, even though Epstein had no experience with that type of work. Now, that'll make a lot more sense as we go through the story. Wexner bought Epstein this massive townhouse in New York City. Some reports said it was the largest townhouse in New York City. He gave Epstein a huge amount of money, bought him multiple, multiple houses, and he paid Epstein to quote, manage his money. But why though? Like if you're a billionaire, I don't I mean you can give your money to Goldman Sachs or Northern Trust or any of, of many very sophisticated asset management firms to handle that job. And you pay them some fees, but you surely would not pay them as much as he paid Epstein. So it, it seems obvious to me. That Epstein was being paid either to source these young boys for Wexner or to keep his mouth shut about having done it in the past or both, right? It it, it doesn't have to be an either or. And there's just no other explanation that makes any sense. And Epstein became very rich. He was not a, a very sophisticated guy. And that's why he partnered up with Ghislaine. Ghislaine? Gaylane? I've heard both. She was born very wealthy. Her father had been this rich businessman, this Mossad spy that he he had killed himself in this mysterious way in 1991. And Lady G was classy. She knew how to socialize. And I think Epstein realized that the scam that he was running on Wexner was scalable. So how did he do it? He would throw these dinner parties and he would invite all of these rich and powerful people to them. And so here's my theory about what he would do then. At the first dinner party, there's a few pretty girls walking around, and he would watch to see how the different men reacted to it. He wanted to sniff, "Which guys fuck around. Because some of these guys are married, they were devoted to their spouses, some of them weren't bat an eye. and others, he would spot them watching these women. I don't know if he could smell it on them. I don't know if he just followed their eyeballs. I don't know if if there's just some telltale signal of like dudes who do that. Some of the men that he invited to these parties were powerful and, and successful. And I think he invited them just to legitimize the whole thing, to have interesting people around, not because he was trying to trap everyone who was there. And so he would do that by he would donate huge amounts of money to college professors So that he could then invite them to these dinners and and then it would confer this air of legitimacy on the parties and on what he was doing. Just having them around made him seem legit. So that's how the first dinner party goes. And then after he figures out who he's going to target, he does another dinner party. And maybe this time he gets these guys a little more liquored up. Maybe the crowd is a little smaller. Maybe there's some music going and there's some pretty girls wandering around and one of these guys takes some girl into a bedroom, and Epstein's got a hidden camera set up there. So this rich guy sleeps with this young girl, and the next day Epstein calls the guy up, and he's like, "Hey, great party yesterday." And the guy's like, "Yeah, that was so much fun. Thanks, that was amazing." And then Epstein lowers his voice to a whisper, and he goes, "Yeah, listen. Ah, uh, remember that girl that you went in the bedroom with?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, she was so hot. That was amazing." And Epstein goes, look, crazy thing, and I had no idea, but it turns out that she's only 16 years old, and I I had no idea. I'm as shocked as you are. And then the guy that he's scamming goes, oh, my God, I didn't know. She swore she was 20. What am I going to do? This is a disaster. So Epstein plays the part of the friend and savior, and he says, listen, don't worry. I will solve this here is what we are going to do. I have this money management business in the Cayman Islands. And what you're going to do, you're a rich guy. You've got tons of money. You're going to decide to invest some of your money with that money management firm. So you're going to wire $50 million to this money management business to invest some money for you. And we're going to charge you a fee, a fee of say 10%, $5 million for one year. And don't worry, nothing's going to happen with the money. It'll sit in cash parked in a bank account. And then at the end of the year, you write me a letter and you say, I have to change my mind. I decided to withdraw my money and I'll wire it back to you minus the $5 million in fees. And I will use that money to make sure this all stays quiet. And his target is going to be like, oh my God, you're my savior. You know, I'll, I'll have the money sent right away. Thank you for taking care of this. I can't believe I was so stupid. Now, if you do this enough times, it adds up to an awful lot of money. And so Epstein holds himself out as this important money manager, but in reality, he wasn't doing anything with it. If he was doing something with it, it would have a footprint. He would need to buy something with it, stocks or bonds or commodities or art or real estate, something, but he never did anything with it. His money management firm was nothing but a way to extract fees that were supposedly being used for hush money, but Really were being used to pay himself. And maybe some of his victims knew that they were paying him. Maybe they did not care. Maybe they didn't have a choice. But Jeffrey Epstein had an absurd roster of victims over the years. Victims, I I say that word, but like, were they really victims? I don't know. And he took these people for an extraordinary amount of money. If you want to know who his targets were and which men were paying him hush money, follow the money there was no one who invested with Epstein for legitimate reasons. So anyone who invested money with Epstein did it because they were paying him to stay silent. And he probably had many different targets over the years. Leon Black stepped down from his role at Apollo Global because of this. He claimed that he paid Epstein $150 million for estate planning services. That makes, pardon my French, zero fucking sense. Nobody pays $150 million for estate planning services. You could hire the the greatest lawyers in the world. Just, I mean, just, like it's, it's insane. It would cost you far less than that. Now, some of the people that he targeted, he probably didn't even try to extort them. Who knows if he tried to get money out of Prince Andrew or if he just liked having someone in the royal family who owed him one. And it seems pretty clear that Prince Andrew was one of his targets. Now, the good prince has denied it. This woman that he slept with, she, she testified that this guy was drunk and sweating all over her at, at a club in London called Annabelle's. And, and Prince Andrew said, no, that can't be true. I have a disease that prevents me from sweating. Does that seem plausible to you at all? Look, I don't have anything to substantiate whether or not Epstein killed himself or not. I don't know. Surely there was a very long list of people who wanted him dead. But I don't know what happened in that jail cell. Anything I say would be speculative. I'm glad that so far Lady G has not been able to kill herself. And I hope she talks about what she knows because surely she knows a lot. Where did she come into this? She likely did a few different things. She would help find the women, right? Someone's got to source these young women who will be reasonably discreet. She was comfortable in these social situations. She made the entire thing seem less threatening. And Surely, she schemed with Epstein to help him figure out the best strategy for bilking all of these rich guys. When people talk about human trafficking, I, like, what does that mean? But right, She's being accused of human trafficking. Does that mean somebody who rounds up these runaway girls that are like pretty enough and blonde enough and paying them for sex with older men? Is that human trafficking? I, I like, I always imagine. Something a little different. Like you're, you're, you're literally like kidnapping these women and making them slaves. But I, I don't know. It feels a bit like that term has become overused in the past few years. So I, I would like to understand a bit more what it means. And you know, we should talk about something else. As long as we're talking about this, there's this conspiracy theory called Pizzagate. And it became popular at the time of the 2016 presidential election. If you remember back then, John Podesta, he was the chairman of the Hillary Clinton campaign and his email was hacked. And after it was hacked, WikiLeaks published the emails. Now, the theory, the pizza gay theory, was that his emails somehow connected several well-known Democratic politicians and several restaurants to this human trafficking and molestation ring. And one of the establishments that was implicated was a pizzeria in Washington, D.C., that was called Comet Ping Pong Pizza, hence the name Pizzagate. So people went wild with this theory on social media. There was some nutjob who even drove to the restaurant from North Carolina armed with a rifle. That he thought he was going to shoot the lock off the the door of a closet and free the children that were trapped inside. And this, this conspiracy theory seemed to really catch on with a lot of right wing folks. Like the Venn diagram of people who believed this theory and people who voted for Trump was probably complete overlap. And so many people in the mainstream media, the intellectual types on Twitter, they mocked this. They described it as something nuts, and only a moron would believe it.? Right? It was It was a, a, an example of how Trump voters are dumb or gullible. But for a moment, put yourself in the shoes of some random guy from, I don't know, Indiana. He worked in a factory. His father worked in a factory. He had a decent middle class life. And then over the past twenty years, the factory he worked in got shut, the company relocated to China. Why? I don't know. Because America joined the World Trade Organization and and a lot of jobs got lost and a lot of people that he didn't know who were executives got rich. Does that seem like a conspiracy? I don't know. Maybe. At the same time, lots of people that he knows are getting hooked on pain pills. Life in his town has deteriorated. Now, this guy, Remember, we're imagining ourselves in his shoes. This guy sees on the news this crazy thing about Jeffrey Epstein, and and he's flying Bill Clinton on his jet to an island in the Caribbean where they can fuck underage girls. And then the same guy reads about Pizzagate, about Democratic politicians that are trafficking children through restaurants in Washington. Does one of these stories seem obviously more stupid or implausible than the other? Like, why would you automatically believe that one of these is true and the other one is false? Because (laughs) they're really, they're both total abstractions. Unless you know these people, these are total abstractions. So I don't get why one is so clearly stupid and the other one is not. And so if you've just been told that the Epstein story is true, why would you know to automatically believe that Pizzagate is false? And why is it valid For all of these folks on Twitter, in the media, why is it valid for them to mock people for believing one of these stories and not the other? And this condescension is part of why the Democratic Party has lost so many of its voters, because it's out of touch with the thoughts and fears of people. And and look, I I need to do a broader episode about this. I'm I'm not doing it now. The Republican Party deserves plenty of attention too. But as long as we're talking about Epstein, I wanted to flag it. So look, I don't know what's going to come out of of Lady G's trial. I'm interested to watch it. I think the entire thing is fascinating. I've been following Jeffrey Epstein since like 2003. There was this wild Vanity Fair article about him. It was a very long article that I read in 2003. And I remember thinking, this guy sounds like a nut. There was a line in the article, if I'm remembering correctly, and and forgive me because I read it like 18 years ago, but there was a line in it about how he he. I guess he had worked at Bear Stearns at one point, and he yelled at people on his team so violently that it was irresponsible. And I remember thinking, like, what a, a a wild sentence that was. Anyways, we'll see what comes out of the trial, and and we'll keep talking about it here on the show. We should also talk about this terrible tragedy in Wisconsin last week. Some deranged lunatic. Uh, I guess his name was Darrell Brooks or Darrell, Darrell, Darrell Brooks. I don't know. He drove into a parade and ran over more than 40 people. I think six people have died so far. Maybe seven people have died so far. There are many that are hospitalized, including a lot of children. There's video of him doing this. I, I, I watched it. It's graphic. It's horrible. You see him running over people. <laughs> it seems like the kind of thing I should watch in the middle seat of a flight like uh like the way I did with mysterious skin. And the day that it happened, there were news reports that this guy was fleeing cops who had been trying to arrest him for domestic violence. But it seems that that was just a rumor that's been dispelled. So why did he do this? Was this a form of domestic terrorism? Was there a political motive? Was he trying to get revenge for the Rittenhouse verdict? I mean, this is a guy who had written all kinds of racist stuff about white people and Jewish people on online, a guy who had posted all sorts of support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Where's the investigation into the motive for this attack? How come these media content companies spent so many calories trying to investigate Kyle Rittenhouse, but nothing on this guy and his motive? Why, why is this not getting any attention? Even worse is the fact that the Washington Post and CNN have described this as, quote, a tragedy caused by an SUV. That's just deranged. I mean, it's terrible and inaccurate writing. The SUV didn't cause the tragedy. This wasn't in an autonomous vehicle. This person caused the tragedy. And I spoke a lot about the Rittenhouse verdict last week. You know, I had a lot of listeners and, and readers who thanked me for that discussion because it seems that a lot of people did not know. The underlying facts of the Rittenhouse case. And they were happy that someone just laid them out. Because once you hear them, it's hard as a rational person to come to any conclusion other than that the jury did the right thing and acquitted him. It's not necessarily, you're you're not necessarily going to like him, but that's the logical conclusion. And I'm very curious to understand more about what happened in Wisconsin last week. I hope that these media companies cover it with the the gusto that they gave to the Rittenhouse trial, but we both know that they won't. Thank you for joining me today. Remember that I write and I record the podcast to share a point of view that is not found elsewhere in the media. And I depend on your support to do it. So please sign up as a paid subscriber. The link is easy to find, leebrestler.substack.com. You can find me on Twitter on Instagram, and I will be back with more soon.